Final hour of Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. I am Chad Withrow. Jonathan Hutton will be back with us next week. Having a fun time today. Flying solo. I say that. This is never a one-man or one-woman operation on this show. It takes a village. Crew doing a terrific job. A lot of uh, friends of the show joining us today as well. Doing a terrific job. We got more of them joining us this hour also. So having a great time on this Thursday edition of the show. Earlier in the show, talked about 4th of July holiday. Got into a story about playing the family kickball game and me blasting a kickball off the face of my brother, Nick. Uh, I do need to check with my brother, Nick, at some point, too, to make sure his eye is okay because it was swelling shut as of Tuesday night on 4th of July night. Hopefully he's okay. Um, Hopefully this next story has a happy ending. I think it does. Teased it earlier, but... Crazy moment last night at Yankee Stadium, Yankees-Orioles game, where Orioles shortstop Gunnar Henderson came up gunning to first and on a wild throw ends up hitting cameraman Pete Stendel in the head, and it caused a delay in the game. Um, Scary moment. The broadcasters were talking about it. I know the fans at Yankee Stadium eventually started chanting MVP, also, uh, good to see that he appears to be okay. Um, Davey Hudson with us right now. Davey, I watched this video, though, and when I saw it, I do think to myself, and I don't want to sound heartless here, but it feels like someone that operates a camera in that area would have their head a bit more on a swivel and know to duck in that setting. I think he had plenty of time when that ball was thrown from shortstop to get out of the way and not just stand there and take a fastball off the face. I, I totally agree with you with the head on the swivel comment. It's one of those things. I, like, I mean, is he just so zoned in? What, what did he have that camera just placed on to where he's like, I, I mean, give him credit for doing his job. It seemed like that had worked, but I mean, yeah, you got to make sure at a certain point you're able to realize your surroundings and know I got I to gotta move out of the way. I mean, the head three inches to the left or the right, and he's probably fine. I don't know. I'm a little antsy whenever it comes around being uh, with, like, baseball settings, took a bat to the mouth at the age of seven. So that, that head on the swivel, whenever you, you hear that metal bat hitting the ball, it's, it's one that resonates with me. So I, I feel for this guy. I mean, I didn't have to be carted off. And I, I'm curious, like, at least that guy, he got to do the shocker symbol as they're carrying him out. And uh, they, he'll never <laughs> that forget. That wasn't a peace sign? Uh, that, was, that was something different he was doing, it, you're it, saying? To me, I could be wrong. I, if – I'll tell you also say two outs. Maybe he was saying two away. Two away in the inning, guys. Just want to remind the infield that there's two outs in this inning as he as he got carted off. I mean, you gotta get out of the way of this. That's um, you know, c- come on. I I don't I don't want to make fun of him, but you're looking right at it. There's no shot in history that's worth taking a major league baseball shortstop's hardest throw off your head. Uh, to get that shot. So he should have ducked on, on that one. Yeah, I, I doubt he's worried about like a Bill Buckner moment, you know, yeah. in, that, in that situation. Well, Dave, you talked about getting – you got hit in the, the head, you said, as yeah, a kid. I took it straight base, to the mouth. The bat. I, 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 I coached my daughter's softball team, had a game last night. And it reminds me of this. I have no idea how more kids don't get hit in the head or somewhere with a baseball bat. I am amazed by it. I, I, I'm not some helicopter parent, but when I'm coaching these little girls – and there's multiple bats out, or even when there's just one, and one girl's running the on-deck circle and someone else is swinging, I do not understand how it does not happen more. So I'm glad that you're okay, Davey. But when you're around little kids swinging baseball bats all the time, knock on wood, it's never happened on my team. But I also sit and watch, and I think, 
how do these kids not hit each other with a bat more often? It really is a gift from God that this doesn't happen more often, and hopefully this man uh, is okay. Well, my front two teeth are fake. Do fake teeth work out for you? I mean, no no one knows unless I tell them. That's true. Well, now we know. Fake teeth, fake eyes. We both have fake eyes. We have that going yeah, for us. Yeah, we're still now. waiting on mine. I was trying to look up at the screen, and I'm not quite there yet to be able to see it. But I was told that you know when I had the LASIK surgery done, that no matter what, this isn't going to cure you from getting over 40 and needing readers. That just because you had LASIK surgery doesn't mean you're not going to have uh, macular degeneration like everyone else and not be able to see up close uh, about the time you're 40 years old. And you know that's becoming more and more of a reality for me. So that's another. Another sad story. Yankees cameraman gets blasted in the face with a baseball, and I can't see anymore, and I'm going to have to have readers very soon. Neither a great story. Maybe it's going to be a great story for the NBA that they're going to have this in-season tournament. We're going to find out what the stakes of this tournament really are coming up Saturday. There's going to be a, a live NBA Today show from Vegas, and they've got different star players, Anthony Edwards, Victor Wimbenyama, Other players will be live for the announcement from the NBA on what exactly the format will be and what the stakes are for this in-season NBA tournament. Now, we know that the final four of this tournament will take place December 7th and December 9th in Las Vegas. We know that every game within the tournament, the knockout stage, the group play, everything will count towards regular season statistics with the exception of the championship game. That will not. Those things we know. We know there's going to be six groups, and the winners of those six groups will automatically advance to a knockout stage, and then there will be two wildcard teams. So eight teams will compete for this. I believe the initial plan was going to be automatic entry into the playoffs for the winning team or the top two teams or however, however they decide it. But regardless, I think the big question here is, does it matter? Do we care? And especially, do we care in the middle of football season? Clay Travis has a great piece up right now at OutKick where he compares the demise of the NBA, starting with LeBron James, starting to get overly political with what happened to Bud Light and the boycott from conservatives and saying that basically, hey, if people will report sales data with Bud Light because the people that cover business don't really care. They're just reporting the numbers on Bud Light so we know how much the business has been affected. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with the boycott of Bud Light, but it doesn't matter. It's worked. Uh, The results are there. Clearly, Bud Light's laid off a ton of employees, and their sales have taken a big hit, and that brand may not recover for a while. So it worked. There's no doubt about it. But Clay's comparing that to the NBA, which is covered by a bunch of uh, left-leaning journalists that want nothing more than to make sure the NBA is propped up and not seen as something that's being hurt by political opinions, opinions that they share. So when someone's echoing opinions they share, they want to show it as it's not affecting the bottom line. Clay's arguing, if you look at television ratings alone, going back to 25 years, to 1998, Michael Jordan's final game with the Bulls, and that shot over Brian Russell to win the title in Game 6, the NBA peaked with those ratings, and they've gone down and down and down and down, and four of the worst five years for NBA ratings have been in the last four years for NBA Finals. So Clay's pointing to that data saying, clearly the NBA got political and Adam Silver is a worse commissioner than than David Stern and LeBron James is a worse star than Michael Jordan 
and that has affected the NBA bottom line and interest in the NBA. It's a fascinating piece. Um, I don't know that I agree with every single part of it as the sole contributing factor, but you'd be blind not to say that LeBron James' politics and being a divisive superstar in the league hasn't contributed to it because Michael Jordan wasn't. If you hated Michael Jordan, it's because you were a Pistons fan. It wasn't because you knew where he stood politically. I didn't know where any of the stars of the NBA of the 80s and 90s stood politically. And the league was better then because what was it about? It was about basketball. It was about greatness with Michael Jordan. And we loved watching that. It's less about that today. I do think, though, Davey, that the NBA is trying to go away from that. Adam Silver's trying to get away from that because they've seen the effect on the bottom line. And while they're not going to fully admit it, and they'll never apologize or admit a mistake by going overly political, I think by their actions, they're starting to show that. Still not going to stop LeBron James from saying whatever he wants. And, hey, it's a free country. He can say whatever he wants. But it's not going to help the business of the NBA when he does so. And it all kind of ties back into new ways to try to regain the public's interest in this league. And now we've got an in-season tournament to help do that. Yeah, you can change or have as many books on the first page as you want. It's not really going to make an impact in, into how you're going about trying to change people's opinion. If I'm the NBA and, and just going back to this tournament, I mean, right now their product is obviously broken. I, I think we can all agree with that. You just gave the numbers. We've, we've seen the, the stats. I'll at least, if there's not a football game on, tune in just to see if it's anything of interest which I feel like if you're the NBA, you have to do that at this point because everything else is going against you when you're comparing it to the other sports that people are making sure that they're giving their time a day. Um, whether it's like, I, I don't have an NBA team that I, I like. I, I don't feel, uh, there's a whole thing around just, you know, being in Tennessee, Memphis from where I grew up is a completely different state in my opinion. So I, I've never really gravitated towards one team. And the, the NBA, if, if you don't have a team there's not much reason for me to tune into that, whereas the NFL, even if I, I didn't have a team, I could still be like, I'm tuning in for this game. I see the intrigue here, the allure. But with the NBA, man, right now, there's just several things they need to get fixed, and I don't see it happening anytime soon. Well, every team that I rooted for growing up, there was a reason behind it. And the NBA was the only one that was one-player driven. An example, I'm from the state of Tennessee, ended up going to Tennessee. I was a Tennessee fan because my family was a Tennessee fan. I was an Atlanta Braves fan. Why? Because the Braves were on TBS, the Superstation. And I could watch that in my limited cable package as a little kid in the 80s and 90s. I could watch the Braves every night. And I started watching right around the time they got good, between 1990 and 91. Became a Braves fan for life because of that. Didn't have a local NFL team when I was growing up until I was a teenager. But my brothers were born in Northern California, and they were big 49ers fans. Well, guess what? The 49ers were great in the 80s and 90s when I was a kid. Loved Joe Montana, loved Steve Young. I was a 49ers fan, but that was about a familial connection. My connection to the Chicago Bulls was one-fold, Michael Jordan. And I was a die-hard Chicago Bulls fan because of Michael Jordan. And that was it. And I think kids today are the same way. They gain an affinity for a team based on the superstar they most identify with and they want to watch. I watched the Bulls because they were also readily available on WGN out of Chicago when I was a kid, so I could watch almost every game on TV. I was a Bulls fan because of Michael Jordan. The NBA has divided itself because their biggest superstar is LeBron James, and LeBron James has divided a lot of people who watch the league 
because he's very outspoken on political issues and not a lot of people agree with him. So because of that, I think the league is less desirable. There's a lot of other factors also. I agree with Clay's piece completely that Adam Silver is a far worse NBA commissioner than David Stern ever was. David Stern believed Michael Jordan when he said Republicans buy sneakers too. I think he lived by that mantra. He wanted everyone to like the NBA. He wanted it to be about the games. NBA is fantastic was something everyone knew back in the day in that ad campaign. And it was back in the day. Now, I'll also admit that I didn't sit and watch every NBA game as a kid. I think the same way Tim Tebow covered up for the sins of Florida football that we're going to find out about in that Netflix documentary because he was seen as this pure angel sent down from Christ and he lived his life that way. For that reason, people saw the Florida Gators and Urban Myers teams as something that was pure and great. And really what was going on is something very unholy with everyone else in that team and what Aaron Hernandez was up to. Michael Jordan probably covered up for the sins of the NBA in a lot of ways in the 90s. I don't know what the hell the Bucks and the T-Wolves look like on a Wednesday night. I didn't watch. Could have sucked also. Could have sucked just like today's NBA sucks when you watch regular season NBA games where they're not really trying that hard. I'm assuming it was a little bit better, but it's possible that it sucked too. Here's a question, and this is probably something we need more time to discuss, but do you think social media has actually been a detriment to the NBA and its popularity today? Because when you talk about the Michael Jordan stuff, there's a lot that we have learned in the last dance that has come about that they were doing behind the scenes, but obviously not everyone had a phone. They were able just to film it at that point. They're like, hey, I'm hearing this is happening as uh, Rodman and his crew are in Vegas. Now I know what every NBA player is doing at any moment. And, I mean, we're, we're seeing, like, were there more Ja Morants back in the day? And now we have Ja where it's, hey, there's a, a VIP room where people aren't supposed to be getting in there, and we got a security camera of him uh, getting a lap dance, holding a gun, and then he's just going live on IG with his friend. He flashes it there, and now next thing you know, the guy's suspended for almost a third of the season. Davey, I think that social media is the demise of many forms of, of media and business, quite frankly, and uh, human interaction. And the NBA is no different. I think there's a lot of sports you could point to and say it's been negatively affected, more than positively affected by social media. Others are probably helped by it. You can point to specific teams, athletes, programs, and say they are a thousand percent helped by social media. The way they they use it, right? The way they utilize the form, they've helped their brand. They've helped the sport. They've gained exposure. They've done this and that. NBA Twitter is a real thing. Right, People who follow it, they know the group we're talking about. There is an NBA Twitter in corners of media and people who follow the league, and that includes players, coaches, media members, everything. It's hard to know. I don't know that – I'll say this. I don't think it's grown the game. I don't know that it's hurt the game either. But you could say that about anyone. What we know now about John Morant are the same things we know about some Hollywood actors or politicians – simply because of camera phones and social media that we otherwise would not have known about years ago. So has it hurt? I think so, but I think it's hurt a little bit of everything. I hope that answered your question, David. It did, and it's one of those to where I think it's going to take even longer before we see the uh, the real impact that it has on the league as a whole. And I mean, you go back to, to Adam Silver, it's his reign. I'm curious to see, because he's one of those guys we've talked about it seems like all the players, all the NBA people like him, but when you take a step back and you look at it as a whole, it's like, what has he done to help the game? And that answer is pretty much nothing. 
I think that he's also a guy that's liked and not overly respected. That's my sense of him. I think there's a difference between being liked and respected. I think he is a likable guy. I think the players have his back. I think he's well-liked by the league. I'm not saying he's, he's not respected by everyone. I don't know that he's respected the level David Stern was respected by NBA players. We'll Maybe wrong. We, we will learn more about how much he's respected based off this new CBA that's going to be coming out here soon. No doubt. No, we're going to find out a lot with that. Um, ben Maller, host of Fox Sports Radio. He's going to join us next. We're going to talk about Ronald Acuna Jr. doing things that have never been done before in Major League Baseball and a number of other big headlines. That's coming up next. This is Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. We are back. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. I'm Chad Withrow, flying solo today, but my friends are all riding along with me. Jonathan Hutton will be back on Monday. I have titled this the Withrow and Friends edition of the show, and we've had fun so far. We're going to have fun in this segment also. New friend of the show is Ben Maller. He is the host of the Ben Maller Show on Fox Sports Radio. You can hear him across that network. We welcome him on our radio network and our digital network without kick right now to talk about, well, a little bit of everything. Ben, how are you, man? I'm good, Chad. It's good to be on with you guys. I appreciate it. I always know a radio guy by the quality of audio that they possess. And this is high quality audio we're getting from Ben right now. Well done, sir. Well, thank you. It's a, it's a byproduct of the uh, the pandemic still. I still I, I built a home studio, so that's that's the deal on that. But it's good to be here. You know, Ben, I feel like a lot of times on this show, and it's just, it just reflects reality right now, that we're talking about a lot of things that haven't improved uh, in sports that have gotten worse over the years for one reason or another. So I do like to highlight things that I think have improved. I want to be a positive person overall, and I'm watching a lot more Major League Baseball this year and I feel like it's a product that has improved. I think the, the pitch clock, I think the new schedule format where everyone's seeing the entire all of Major League Baseball on the schedule more regularly, I think all of these things ha- have helped the game overall. Do you agree? What do you think about these changes? Are you indifferent with them? Do you like them? Do you hate them? Where do you fall on this? So, Chad, first of all, I I hated the idea of a pitch clock because growing up, I loved baseball. I was like, you don't need a pit, you don't need a clock in baseball. That's that's you're not- old school, like a lot of people. You're you're a exactly. purist, exactly. But I, I I will actually give credit to, and I I despise, I loathe Rob Manfred. I uh, I am still bitter about the Astros from 2017, Chad. So I am still upset about that. But that being said, the, the fact that he didn't punish them. Uh, I've been to a bunch of baseball games and the thing I will say most about baseball, you hardly notice it. It's a quick pace, but it's not like it interferes with the game. And I I think that's, that's actually a compliment to baseball. Cause I, when I heard the clock was coming, I was like, okay, this is going to be a debacle. It's going to be a disaster. And it really hasn't been, there've been a few blowups, but it's been good. And I don't know that, you know, tons more people are actually watching baseball because of the clock. I think that's more of a myth than anything else, but it's, it is a better product. So uh, yeah, I, I would agree with you on that. And I, I thought there would, as I said, I thought there'd be more hiccups, Chad, but there really haven't been that many. You know, Ben, it's amazing because it's a sport that conditions you to things at all times. Baseball is. And if you go back and watch games in the eighties, everyone worked quick. They pitched fast. The game moved a little bit quicker and it slowed down over the years But to your point, you get conditioned for a little bit slower of a game and longer game times. 
This year, the games are faster, but like you, it's not like I'm sitting there studying the pitch clock or I'm tuning in simply to watch the pitch clock. But first couple weeks of the season, I was mesmerized by it because it was so new, and I I'm, I'm found myself watching the bottom of the TV screen to see where they're pitching on the clock. And now that we're in July, I'm not watching it at all. And the games are just moving naturally a little bit faster. And for that reason, I, I like it a little bit more. But it is funny how it is a sport that will condition you to watch a certain way no matter what they're doing. Yeah, and the thing too, Chad, about that is the real litmus test for this is going to be the playoffs. It's one thing for the regular season, but when the stakes go up in the playoffs, and we all know watching baseball, baseball players up there with golfers for having meltdowns oh, yeah. when things don't go well in a big spot. And uh, it, it seems inevitable. Maybe I'll be wrong on this, but it seems inevitable to me that, that some pitcher is going to go out there and just lose his, uh, his uh, you know, lunch, if you will, on the mound, and he's going to blame the clock. So that's when the rubber meets the road, uh, in, you know, the next layer, if you will, for baseball. And there has – some of the players have complained. I'm, I'm sure you guys probably talked about it. They complained a, a couple of weeks ago about wanting to get rid of the pitch clock for the, yeah. the postseason and all that, which – uh, I, I think there's no chance. I mean, ultimately, this is television's decision. It's really what the TV people want. So they'll they'll be the ones that decide it. But I think there's no chance of that happening. You're right about it. it's what the TV people want. It's also what Major League Baseball wants. And I do th agree with you. Something's going to happen. But I think it's ultimately going to be great for baseball because it's going to cause controversy. And it's going to be a moment we remember uh, when that meltdown happens. We all remember where we were when Aaron Rodgers uh, became a New York Jet. There was a speculation all offseason when it happened. It's the, maybe the biggest NFL storyline of this offseason. My question for you, Ben, is it simply playoffs or pink slip for Robert Sala now that the expectations have changed with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, or does there even need to be more that happens this year with the Jets in order for him to keep his job? So I wouldn't have put it past the Jets to keep Robert Sala, even if they're mediocre again, because he's – very, I guess debonair would be the way I would describe him. He is, he's got the gift of gab and those guys usually survive longer. I would agree with you on the surface based on you know, the, the, the myth or the, uh, the way we look at New York sports that if you don't win right away, you're going to get fired. But Robert Sala is pretty charismatic and guys like that are kind of like cockroaches. They can, they can last, but uh, yeah, this is, this is going to be either spectacular or a, total disaster for the Jets and uh, much like you I will be there to enjoy every twist and turn that takes place it's going to be fascinating to see how this plays out because Aaron Rodgers looked like he was on the decline last year with the Packers and now all of a sudden I you, you see the stories coming out of New York and they're the, the media there is like hypnotic uh, and they, they're, they're convinced that Rodgers is going to end up being in the MVP again in the NFL and I'll, I'll believe it when I see it Ben Maller hosts the Ben Maller Show on Fox Sports Radio, our guest on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. Mark Zuckerberg versus Elon Musk. Uh, and the fight that, you know, I, I guess we want to see happen that, you know, will be something that probably sets some records in terms of a box office gate and, and pay-per-view and money that it could make. I don't know where to fall on this, Ben, because I'm someone that I like to watch the British Open because I like to watch pro golfers look like the rest of us at times under really bad conditions with weather and, and the condition of the course. I like to watch sometimes, at least early on, the novelty of the match when you see NFL players struggle around the golf course. 
I don't know that I necessarily want to see normal dudes that are middle-aged fight it out in a cage, but here we are, and we're talking about it. Is this thing going to actually happen? Do you want to see it happen? Uh, yes, and, and I'm on the other side of the argument on this, Chad. I love the idea of watching billionaires do damage to billionaires. I yeah. think that's just outstanding, and uh, sign me up for that, and uh, it's great. And you've got kind of an old-school wrestling vibe, too, because you've got Elon Musk, who is seen as more of a you know, like a GOP guy, and then you've got Zuckerberg, who's on the other side of the political spectrum. If you want to bring that into the conversation. So you've got that. You've got the war going on with social media now between Twitter and now Zuckerberg started the this threads thing. I don't even really know what that is, but uh, supposed to take down Twitter. So, I mean, you got so many different angles to it. Um, my my concern is these guys are going to go into the ring and they're going to be totally covered in body armor. So there's going to be like, it's just going to be a complete waste of time. It's going to be like the, the sumo wrestling from back in the day with the suits on and all that. They're, they're, no one's actually going to do any damage. And, and the other thing about it too, is like Zuckerberg I, reading up on it. He's actually into this. Like he's an MMA guy. Like oh, yeah. he's, you know, he's like totally into it. And then Elon Musk is like, you know, he's eating, I don't know what he's eating. He's eating regular food like us. I think he's not really, doesn't seem like a workout guy to me. Yeah, I mean, I think Elon Musk has gotten into a little bit better shape. There was that video of him training with, with some MIT scientist that also trains Brazilian jiu-jitsu. That, Zuckerberg is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy. My fear, Ben, is that it would just be over too quickly, right? That they'd get in there and there'd be like some sort of hold that was administered and there'd be a quick tap out or something would happen. I would love to see this thing if it was like a Rocky movie and they went the distance and there were moments of just pure exhaustion between the two billionaires, if we could witness something like that, even if it wasn't totally action-packed with guys getting punched in the face or kneed in the crotch or whatever it is that happens over and over again, just to see two guys battle it out for that long a period of time, that would be my money's worth if that could happen. Yeah, and I, I think you're, you're, it would be wonderful, but it, it, there's no chance. I mean, it's going to be celebrity boxing or celebrity MMA, right? It's going to be shorter rounds. It's going to be... I think it's a first round ending regardless, somehow. I feel like it'd be one of those that someone's going to get knocked down or someone's going to tap out really quickly if it happens. Yeah. Well, if you look at the tail of the tape, you know, and I, you know, old school, I'm an old school boxing guy. I'm not yep. as much in MMA, but if you look at the tail of the tape, physically, uh, height wise and weight wise, Elon Musk has a huge advantage. He's older, but he's got a huge advantage in this. My, my question, Chad, also is what's on the undercard? They're going to make this a pay per view, which I hate, but could they get like some old school internet guys like the, uh, the My, MySpace guy could be out there that could get. Oh, Tom from MySpace. Yeah. Yeah, Tom, they could get him out there. You can go even old school for the uh, the, the early days of the internet, like the uh, the voice of AOL. That yeah. was like the internet. What if the, you know, uh, the Winklevoss twins fought each other in the undercard? We uh, could make that happen. We could get Mark Cuban versus someone. You could get yeah. all these billionaire guys together. I, I love that idea. That's one with legs. Let's make it a circus. Let's make it a total circus under the big top and just go all in with the modern day aristocrats of the Internet, which are controlling, you know, all of our lives pretty much at this point. So uh, I, I'm all about it. But I, I am I'm hoping this happens. I think it's it, you know it's fun. We, we don't get a lot of these events anymore that kind of captivate everyone. And this would be a crossover thing because even people that aren't sports people like us would be like, all right, I want to check this out. I think, I think they would want to, in theory, check it out. It would be the battle of the sexes for this generation, right? The, oh, the, the yeah. Riggs versus Billie Jean King. It would be that type of TV-produced spectacle of sport. I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I'd love it. Go big or go home. 
Uh, that's the way you got to go with this one. That's the way Ronald Acuna Jr., the Braves, plays all the time. Uh, going back to Major League Baseball, Ben, what I love about this season is we are seeing things that even through this long history of the game, we're just, we haven't seen before. Shohei Otani and everything he's doing, hitting and pitching. And now Ronald Acuna Jr., the first player in Major League Baseball history to have 20-plus home runs, 40-plus stolen bases, 50-plus RBI before the All-Star break. This is remarkable what we're seeing through, through him. I don't know that we're truly appreciating it. I don't know that we ever truly appreciate sports greatness as it's happening, but this is a, some greatness we're witnessing with this Brave. Yeah, you know, it, it's he, he's been been amazing. I mean, the Braves are dominating. It's like they're are they peaking too soon? You wonder. Like they've they've been so good here in the regular season, and then that's the maddening thing, Chad. Like you watch Ronald Lacuna, how great he is. He's like Michelangelo right now with a baseball bat in his hands, and how dominant he's been for the Braves. And then you're like, I know as a I'm a Dodger apologist, and I know they've had great teams, had a wonderful team last year, and then you get to the playoffs. And the whole thing reverses. But as far as the the dominance and all that, you're, you're absolutely, I, I think, 100% correct. I, a lot of the baseball numbers, you don't really appreciate until the, the season's over and you get the final numbers. And then uh, for a lot of these guys, it's when the career is over. It's a little different with Shohei Otani. Like, that guy's gotten a ton of love. And he, I mean, the media, the baseball media has gone overboard because he's doing something that hasn't been done in the modern era and all that. Ronald Acuna not getting as much, but but he's been he's been wonderful. I don't, I don't, and there's nothing negative you can say about the guy. It, it is stunning though. The Braves, when they won the World Series a couple of years ago, he was injured, yeah. so he wasn't even there. And they won the World Series, and now now he's just monster mashing. And you wonder what he's going to do in the playoffs down the line. It's a great point, and I, I like what you said about Otani. He does get a lot of love from baseball media, but you said you're a Dodgers guy. I still feel like if he were across town with the Dodgers. Everyone would be talking about him, not just baseball media, more and more. I, I think he's hamstrung a bit by playing for the Angels because I don't think many people across the country care about the Angels. It's not a, a primetime team. No, it's not a glamour team. And, and uh, you know, the Angels owner, this guy, Artie Marino, has had kind of a love-hate relationship with the media. He actually moved the press box near the pearly gates down near the foul pole to kind of stick it to the, to the media. He was upset with some of the media. But, yeah, the Dodgers get a whole different level of coverage and Otani is kind of, kind of hidden there. Although some of these guys like it, Chad, that's the weird thing uh, about the, the baseball players. Cause you, you know, Mike Trout could have gone to the Yankees or a bigger place uh, where, with more media, like Philadelphia, somewhere like that. But he chose to stay cause he likes it. Cause you can play there. It's a great place to live. You know, you live near the beach, go play baseball. Nobody really bothers you and you can put up numbers and all that. But if you're looking for the media attention, I think globally, for for baseball, uh, Otani would be better with. Uh, I'm obviously biased with the Dodgers or somebody who's got more of a high profile. the The interesting thing about Otani to me is what's going to happen 10, 15 years from now. Will we see copycats? Will baseball allow other people to do what Otani's done? Because for years, Chad, as you as you guys know, I mean they they would not allow guys to do this. I mean, when I was playing little league, I think everyone had this experience. If they played baseball, the most talented guy on the team was a pitcher and like the shortstop Yeah, did everything. Yeah. And then sometimes they, you would do it in college, but by the time you got to the major leagues, you wouldn't allow, you wouldn't allow that to happen. And so will this change things? Will, will baseball open up? And are we going to see a wave of young players, you know, 10 years from now that are, it's kind of like the tiger woods effect, right? Where tiger changed golf and you yeah. had a bunch of younger guys that were, were uh, totally different that we had seen in golf before. So it's the same thing happened with Otani. 
I think it'd be great. I think it'd be wonderful. And the teams would like it too, because they, in, in the short term, they'd save some money. Of course, in the long term, it would cost them a ton of money. Ben Maller, host of the Ben Maller Show on Fox Sports Radio, has been our guest. Ben, thanks so much, man. That's a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Thanks, Chad. We'll do it again. Absolutely. Dan Z from Outkick will join us next to talk about Bamani Jones getting another show canceled. We're back. Final segment of Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow on this Thursday across the Outkick Network live from our downtown Nashville studios. With Old Smoky Moonshine and Yeehaw Beer, I'm Chad Withrow. Jonathan Hutton, he'll be back with us on Monday. Looking forward to getting him back. Fun show today. Called it the Withrow and Friends. Three hours on the show. Had a lot of great guests. Got another good friend of the show coming up right now. Also happens to be a writer at Outkick.com. Dan Z, at RealDanZach on Twitter. I was looking through Outkick today. And I came across an article, a piece, as I'll, as I'll call it, from Dan Z about Bamani Jones having his latest effort, his latest show canceled with HBO, a string of things that have been canceled that he's been a part of. Uh, game Theory was the name of the show. And there is a defense of the show at Deadspin that essentially claims the show was too smart to succeed. And that it's because we are all so dumb that the show is now getting canceled. I feel like the judge and Billy Madison, that we're all now dumber for having not watched this show, apparently, according to this Deadspin piece. Dan Z wrote one of the better media criticisms about a media criticism that I've ever read. He's on with us right now. Dan, just kind of take us through your thought process as you read this piece of Deadspin and started to construct your counter to that for OutKick. Well, sure. Let me first say, though, Chad, your tweet kind of threw me because you were like, this is a great criticism of a criticism. And I don't watch a lot of Bomani Jones, so I'm dumb, obviously. So I was like, my head was swimming. I'm like, what is he even talking about? You got to keep them on their toes, Dan. You know, you got to make them think with the uh, the tweet. I got to keep, it's got to be an extra layer. We got to get people thinking. It's like what this Deadspin writer wants. You know, I'm so smart that everything is, it's a, it's a paradox, Everything I tweet or say, it's in code, and only if you're smart enough can you read through it. So luckily you read through it and and eventually understood what I was saying. It was a great criticism of a criticism, and you won the criticism battle with what you wrote. That's what I loved about it. Yeah, careful being too smart, though, Chad. Obviously it gets you canceled. Um, Yeah, so Bomani Jones has a lot of friends in media. Uh, That's become clear throughout the years. Uh, There are a lot of puff pieces on the guy. No one ever looks at what he does with a critical eye. They allow him to speak with impunity and and say things like, it's ESPN's fault that I got canceled, um, which he said about his last show. He has blamed people, the audience, for not being smart enough. Or Actually, I apologize. Caron Phillips, uh, the author of this piece, did that for him. Uh, but this happens all the time. So, But this one, you know, usually they just go right to racism, when it comes to Bomani Jones, you know, um, white America just doesn't accept black Bomani Jones. Uh, but this one was, it kind of struck my eye when I saw it. It was like, essentially it said, Bomani is too good at television, and that's why he failed. That's like being like, Zach Wilson is too good at quarterback. That's why he's just, you know, the Jets had to go out and get someone else. <laughs> Zach Wilson's just, he's just too good, right? Like, I love a good hot take, man. Like, I grew up in the embrace debate era. I worked at ESPN and ESPN Radio. I love a good hot take. 
But the take that Bomani Jones is too good at television to succeed was uh, it was a little too far for me. Yeah, and I, I want to get into that also, but you just said something there that really made me think. When you can get on the right side of the media, if you are someone who is critiqued by other media or you know, you're putting out something that's going to get reviewed, right, like a television show, once you get on the right side of the media, it really can add to your hireability. Right, because Bamani Jones is a guy, Dan, that continues to get opportunity after opportunity that I'm not sure a lot of people that had failed to this level would continue to get, right? And I think in large part that is due because there are a lot of think pieces written talking about how smart and how great he is and how he thinks about things in a different way that I don't know that you know you or I would ever be covered that way necessarily maybe for who we work for now or whatever reason, but it, there is a benefit to getting on the right side of the media, and Bamani Jones is certainly there. Yeah, that's been a huge part of it. Absolutely. That, and then, he, as he's even said, you know, he'll, he'll play the race card on you. And, and not only he'll play it, but he'll get the, his, the New York Times to play it on you, um, which for companies like ESPN especially, that's really worked at ESPN, uh, they're terrified of being called racist or um, – treating black talent differently than white talent. I mean, Bamani Jones has said that mediocre white men can fail over and over and keep getting opportunities. Bomani Jones is a black host who just had his third failed show canceled. Is his argument that if he were white, he'd be on canceled show number five? I, I, it's, it's absolutely astounding how much self-awareness he kind of lacks in this space that audiences do not want to hear what he has to say, whether it's radio, cable TV, premium cable TV. He's tried everything. Audiences haven't gone anywhere with him. And yet, like you mentioned, the New York Times, the Washington Post, Deadspin just continue to crank out piece after piece that are like, this guy is a genius. He is a revelation. And there's absolutely no data that would support that claim and yet these things continue to be produced yeah and i look i'm willing to bet he gets another show somewhere else i mean to your point he's going to continue to have opportunities i don't think this is the end of the road for bomani jones someone else is going to hire him to do a show somewhere regardless of the the, the failure rate of past shows and past opportunities he's been he's been given i also kind of chuckle at this idea from the dead spin piece that it's because of you know racist white America that this show didn't succeed, and I'm thinking to myself, the people you're talking about are you know conservative Republicans. You know we can all say what what the author is saying. I don't know how many hardcore conservative Republicans are watching HBO to begin with. This is an HBO audience. That's usually a pretty liberal, affluent audience, college educated, pretty smart people are watching HBO, right, and consuming HBO shows historically. So it misses the mark on that also. Because the show is on HBO, I don't think the audience he's talking about is going to HBO for anything. So it's not like that audience turning away had any effect on his ratings or viewership because they were never watching HBO, ever. No, and his two lead-in programs over the two seasons were John Oliver and Bill Maher. You think there's a bunch of conservative Republicans watching John Oliver and Bill Maher? Like, no, that was, and I even saw a complaint, a tweet from a verified account that said, 
you know, they set him up to fail by having him go after Bill Maher and John Oliver. By having him go after their two biggest shows, they set him up to fail by giving him the biggest possible lead-in audience they could. They set him up to fail. Like, it's this kind of thinking that feels just, uh, it's almost unfathomable, Chad. Like, I'm having trouble getting yeah. through it. Because you read this, and I, I wrote this at one point, this reads like a parody piece. If you told me that this was an article from the Babylon Bee as like a review of Bomani's canceled show, I'd believe you. I'd be like, there's no way a person possibly thinks these things. And here's kind of the, I didn't even mention this in the article. This will be a, a hot mic exclusive, but I started thinking about this after I wrote it, which was, you know, the, it starts with Dan Lebetard and how, you know, they quote Dan Lebetard and it says, Lebetard was right. Embrace debate has destroyed sports television. What's ironic about that is I think what actually destroyed, especially ESPN, was Dan Lebetard. I mean, ultimately, it was John Skipper because he was the guy who made the decision to bring in Lebetard and let him do whatever he wanted. But it was I was there when Lebetard came in. And when he started doing politics, other commentators were like, oh, we could do politics. And he kind of opened that door. And also, look at all the people that cause problems across you know, sports media who stand up and call people bigots and racists. They're all Lebetard disciples. You're Sarah Spain's of the world. You're Dominique Foxworth, Bomani Jones. All of these people that he left behind, that ESPN continued to employ even after he left, continue to bring down the network. So I actually think the author is sort of right. Dan Lebetard was kind of right. He knew that sports television was destroyed, except I think it was more him who did it, especially ESPN. So I've got to ask you an NFL question since we have you on here, Dan. And great piece, Please. by the way. You can find it, read it, outkick.com. Highly recommend it. Very well done on the piece on Bomani Jones. Um, Robert Sala this year for the Jets. Is it playoffs or pink slip? How hot is that seat now because the expectation with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback? I think it might be hotter than that. Um, I, I don't think making the playoffs is the bar that Robert Sala has to clear. Um, I, I mean, again, all of this stuff can't be really discussed in a vacuum, right? Like it, it's hard to go into a season and say, you know, like Brandon Staley from last year is a good example. He needs to make the playoffs. And then it was once he made the playoffs, his job was safe. But then they had an epic meltdown in the playoffs. So it kind of depends how it happens. You know, if the Jets make the playoffs, let's say, and they're in the, the wild card round and they take kind of a tough defeat that maybe people think could have gone either way, he keeps his job. And so it's hard to say. But I do think that the they have to be more successful than just a 9-17 and 17 that gets into the playoffs. Um, I think they need to, at the very least, challenge for the division title, if not win it. They need to either win a playoff game or multiple playoff games or have something happen in one of those playoff games that people can say it's not his fault. But, yeah, I, I, I think his seat is hot, I guess, but, like, he has a good team. And they were pretty good last year, and they upgraded at the position where they struggled the most, the most important position on the field. So he has all the tools to succeed. So uh, it, it's even hard to say, like, is the seat hot, like, well, yeah, in that the expectations are high, but he's also got a pretty darn good roster. So he really should succeed. Yeah, just like every 11-6 and six season isn't created equal, not exactly. every playoff loss is created equal. So I understand what you're saying with that. Uh, circumstances will matter when it comes to his job. Um, DeAndre Hopkins, what's the best landing spot based on the two big visits he's gone on, Patriots or Titans? What's the better fit for Hopkins? I think he would be better in Tennessee for sure. Um, if he wants to win, I mean, it depends, I guess what he wants. Like 
Belichick will absolutely feature and showcase him in his offense. He'll recognize that he's his best athlete, his best player. But, you know, they're in a division with the aforementioned Jets, Bills, and Dolphins, Mac Jones. Eh. I think the path is a lot easier in the AFC South. Ryan Tannehill has shown that he can actually get the ball to guys like A.J. Brown, who that would be a kind of a nice replacement for him. Um, yeah, Tennessee makes a ton of sense. The path is easier as far as from a winning perspective. I don't think Tannehill gets nearly as much credit as he should. Um, I was pretty hard on him when he was in Miami, and um, I, I, I will now admit, which it pains me to do, that I, I believe I was wrong. Yes, I was wrong. Um, I think Ryan Tannehill is quite a bit better than he is made out to be, and I think he's largely been bereft of weapons throughout his career in Tennessee, except when he had A.J. Brown, and he was successful then. So I like I like the fit in Tennessee a lot. Dan Z without kick at real Dan Zach on Twitter is where you can follow him, read the piece we discussed as well. Dan, thanks so much, man. Appreciate you hopping on. Thank you. Dan Z, great guest for us. Um, great video. Every fourth of July that reemerges. Back it up, Terry. We all saw it. You had a friend send it to you. Uh, the man in the wheelchair with the fireworks going off around him and a guy just cackling, laughing at him as fire, uh, fireworks are erupting all around him. Uh, really cool story. He was actually honored at his local town, the city of Pampa in tanks, not Tampa, Pampa, Pampa, Texas. He was honored at their 4th of July celebration. His GoFundMe for a new wheelchair accessible van has exceeded $70,000 in donations Way to go. Back it up, Terry. Way to go. Everyone involved uh, with this fundraiser. Really cool. I had no shortage of five or six friends who sent me the same video. This is every year. It's an annual tradition to watch the Back It Up Terry video of him and the fireworks going off all around him. So always a good time with Terry. Always a good time on this show. Appreciate everyone out there. Uh, watching, listening today. Big thanks to all of our guests as well. Cynthia Freeland from NFL Network, Mike Gunzelman, Gun Show joining us in studio, Shannon Terry with On3 Sports, Davey Hudson for helping out as well, uh, well with his Let's Get Weird segment, hopping on with us, Ben Maller from Fox Sports Radio, Dan Z, our entire crew in studio today, knocking it out of the park, getting it done. Tomorrow on the show, Michael McHenry will be the special guest co-host, and we've got plenty of other great things going on as well, including SEC Mike, Jack Wilson, Marcellus Wiley, all joining in on the fun to finish out the week. We close strong on this show. We'll close the week out strong tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. <laughs>